0: (laughs) Welcome to Parent Talk Podcasts, where experienced parents and expert guests give tips and tricks on making parenting a breeze. Well, at least a little easier. Now here is your host, Genevieve Kyle, and co-host Heather Fox. Hi everyone, and welcome to Parent Talk, broadcasting out of the greater Vancouver area We're here to inform, educate, and support parents from the early years and beyond. Our show is a great way to expand your village and fill your parental toolbox with as many resources as possible. I'm Genevieve Kyle. I'm your host here on Parent Talk, as well as on Les parents parle, which is Parent Talk, new French edition. I'm 43-year-old, and I'm a mom of two boys, Alexandre, who is getting close to three, and Nathan, who is one-year-old. I'm here today with my co-host, Heather Fox.
1: Hi, Heather. Hello. Hello, everybody. Yes, I am co-host of Parent Talk. I am 41 years old. I have two little ones. My son, Hudson, is two and a half, and my daughter, Madeline, is four months old.
0: Well, thank you Heather. Today we are talking about diastasis and pelvic floor connection and we have with us today Kim Vupni. Kim is a certified trainer, woman health educator, author and speaker. Hi Kim, welcome. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. I would like if you can tell us a little bit more about yourself. Sure.
2: Um, So I am also a mom.
0: I am 47. I have a
2: 12-year-old and a 14-year-old, both boys. And really getting into the world of pelvic health started through my own pregnancies. So I was afraid of birth. I was afraid of a giant baby coming out of my vagina, and I didn't know quite how I was going to be able to carry on and enjoy sex and run and do all the things that I love to do and not have the issues that my mom had and that a lot of other women face, such as incontinence and prolapse and that kind of thing. So really my journey started with that fear and fascination around birth. And my midwives told me about a product called the Epino, and that was a biofeedback device that helps women prepare their pelvic floor for birth. And I used that product and had a great experience and wanted more women to know. And I felt like I could play a role in helping increase education and awareness. So really it started with that. I didn't necessarily intend it to become a business. It sort of was just something I was going to do on the side. And then in 2009, after I lost my job, I felt like it was a good time to try to carry on and, and see if it could become some sort of a business. So uh, I started selling products. I started doing workshops. I uh, started speaking. And essentially, that's landed me where I am now. So I, um, I'm a passionate promoter of pelvic health. And really, I come from a preventive Mindset, And I I really want women to know, even before they become pregnant, but especially while they're pregnant, what they can be doing to help prevent some of the more common challenges that women media tells us that we're supposed to accept as normal. And a lot of women do. And I want to empower them to uh, understand that it's
0: not normal. It's very common, but it's not. And you don't have to live with it. Awesome. Kim, can you explain to us about the pelvic floor and what is diastasis? Sure. So... The pelvic floor is a group of muscles.
2: A lot of people think that it's just one muscle, but it's actually a group of muscles that form the base of the pelvis. So if you can think about your bony pelvis, if you put your hands on your hips, you'll feel your your hip bones or your pelvis bones at the, at the on your hips. In front, you have the pubic joint. People call it a pubic bone, but it's a joint actually at the front. And then at the base of your spine, we have a, a tailbone. So those Points the tailbone, the pubic joint, and then those two bones that you feel if you're sitting on your butt cheeks and you kind of pry them apart, those all form an attachment point for those muscles. And they, f- they do a lot of things that we don't really think about unless there's something that's not working and then it becomes one of the only things that we think about. But the pelvic floor is responsible for pelvic and spinal stability. So because it has those attachment points on our spine and pelvis, it plays a role in helping us control our movement. It plays a role in our sexual satisfaction or lack thereof. The pelvic floor plays a role in our continence. So I always refer to it as decision-making. So do I need to pee? Do I need to poo? Do I need to fart? And is it okay to do so? So we should be able to distinguish which one needs to happen. And is Mm -hmm. it a good time to do it? (laughs) If I'm in an elevator, no, not an appropriate time to fart. But um, so we need the, the ability to decide what's happening. And then it also, the pelvic floor plays a role in helping keep our internal organs. So the bladder, the uterus and the rectum up in place. And obviously during pregnancy, As our uterus grows up and out in front of us, there's an increasing load and a shifting center of gravity that is affecting the pelvic floor as well. So that's the pelvic floor. And then the other piece is diastasis or diastasis, some people call it, diastasis recti is the two six-pack muscles, that's the easiest way to, to reference it. Most people know what those muscles are. They are two straps of muscle that attach at our sternum, so our breastbone, and down onto that pubic joint I was talking about. And in between those muscles, there's a connective tissue called the linea alba. thats You don't really need to know that, but a connective tissue that holds those two muscles in place. When we are pregnant, our belly is growing out in front, all around us and there's additional strain and stretch on that connective tissue. And over time, a natural occurrence that happens is the two straps of muscles move further away from one another. So move further away from the midline. So the term diastasis means separation and recti is the rectus muscles. So that's essentially what it means. But why the two are so intimately connected is because the rectus is attached to the pelvis and that connective tissue it's, it's, a, it's a system through our whole body. So it doesn't just affect that immediate spot. It affects the pelvis and it affects the back and it affects our core. So they're very, very closely tied. And the key actually, we'll get into this later, but the key to healing a diastasis is through the pelvic floor. So we can't look at them independently. We have to look at them as a whole.
0: Mm-hmm. And what is the most common question that you receive from your clients? Usually, the most common thing I
2: hear is why didn't anybody tell me about this mm-hmm. before I got like record? me yeah <laughs> yeah and and myself as well so um it it's it's becoming a lot more talked about, so when I first started talking about this over ten years ago uh, it, it there it was like talking to crickets there wasn't a lot out there there wasn't social media really was kind of just starting to be to get on the scene. So, there's a lot more awareness now, but still, there is a huge void in terms of awareness before there is a challenge. And even if afterwards somebody does have diastasis or pelvic floor challenges, most of them currently still are in the medical realm. And with all due respect to the medical community, their expertise is more in the pharmaceutical and the surgery side of things, not necessarily in the preventive health and the movement piece. And a lot of the information that is communicated to people, because there's really only a short time that doctors have, they have to kind of rule out the most serious issues. Um, A lot of the information that people get is... Either it's normal, that's just hap- what happens after you have a baby or as a woman, or let me know when it's really bothersome and then we can talk about surgery or here's potentially a, a drug that might help with the bladder maybe that's overactive. So there's a lot more I think that that can be done and um, what part of my mission is really is to educate not only the consumers, like the the people like ourselves, but also the healthcare providers who are working with these women. So midwives and doulas and physiotherapists and doctors and help increase the screening. And even if it all it was, was just a brochure to go and look at this in a little bit more detail. I think it would be helpful for people, but um, yeah, it's definitely the most common thing is why didn't anybody tell me beforehand?
0: I think one of the reasons sometimes is uh, our health providers are trying not to scare us. I think 100%. Some, yeah, I think one of the big reasons, and it's like, well, you, be careful, do your Kegels, you know? Mm-hmm. I think we hear a lot about that at the beginning, yeah. and that's basically the extent of it.
2: Yeah, yeah, and and again, that's better than nothing, absolutely. And you're right, there are but many people... But that's not people- enough. No, it's not. I don't think so. And And I also think that there's... The intention is good. The intention about not wanting to put fear into people, I agree with that 100%. However, there's also fear afterwards when there are challenges happening and people are thinking, oh my gosh, what's happening? Like for instance, prolapse. Prolapse is when the organs start to shift out of alignment and they can bulge into the um, vagina. And then sometimes they can come to the entrance. And a lot of people, if they feel a, a bulge, immediately people think cancer. They think it's a lump and it's very, very scary. So I think that while the intention is good, they're, they're also maybe missing the mark and sometimes maybe just creating that fear later. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so I try to come at it with, um, it's, it's, it's our body. We need to know how our body works. We need to know what we can do to optimize it through pregnancy, through life stages and beyond. And I feel like there's power and confidence that comes with information and knowledge. So that, in my opinion, reduces fear.
0: Absolutely. And how do you fix diastasis? The next big question that I always get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I
2: want to know. Yeah. So uh, people want to know why they know what he told them, but then now they're like, okay, here I am. I have this. What do I do about it? And as I mentioned earlier, when I was talking, there's a, a huge connection between the pelvic floor and the ab, the abdominal wall, the, uh, diastasis. So. The key really is optimizing the pelvis, the position of the pelvis, the function of the pelvic floor muscles. That has to happen first before anything else will be able to influence the abdominal wall appropriately. So, there are lots of exercise programs out there talking about how I beat diastasis or how I closed my gap or what have you. And uh, really, at the end of the day, there's no magic exercise, but the pelvic floor is kind of the magic piece. So you have to have that optimized first. So I recommend everybody see a pelvic floor physiotherapist as a first, first step. And then after that, it's about finding the movement, the exercise that you can do in your body. Again, it's not about the exercise, it's the execution of that exercise. And it's about that person executing that exercise. Not everybody has to, like a. for many, many years there was a huge um, backlash against crunches. Crunches are the worst exercise. Don't do them. They're going to make your diastasis worse. And in some it will, and in some it can contribute to prolapse 100%, but there's a lot of other people who can do a crunch with no problem. So it's we can't limit movement and say 100% nobody with diastasis can do a plank anymore or nobody can do a crunch anymore. It's, we need to look more holistically at that person about what they can do and what they can manage in their body. And maybe if they can't manage it now, doesn't mean that they can't eventually get to the point of being able to do that movement again. But really it all comes down to optimizing the pelvic floor and then managing pressure in our body. So laughing, coughing, sneezing, jumping, holding a plank, all of those increase intra-abdominal pressure. We have to have intraabdominal pressure. It plays a role in our stability and our control. But when we have gaps between the muscle or that the connective tissue is weaker, or if we have a pelvic floor that's not optimized, then those pressures aren't managed by the system properly, and that's when the leaking happens, or that's when that bulging and doming happens in the abdominal wall. So it's about finding what movements we can do and where we can control that and manage that pressure, and then eventually pushing those boundaries to be able to move past that. And one more thing I'll say is the term diastasis recti means separation of the rectus muscles. So a lot of what is focused on, especially if you look on the internet, is closing the gap. And for a long time, that was the the main goal. And it still is for a lot of people. They, they think, well, if they're further apart than normal, then I need to get them back to the midline. And for some, that gap actually doesn't change. It, it stays further apart than what would be considered normal, but it's about what happens with that connective tissue. Can you regenerate and retrain that system, that connective tissue, to be able to uh, maintain tension and integrity while you're doing your movement? That's really the the main piece now with diastasis. So more and more research is coming out, moving us away from focusing on closing the gap.
1: Interesting. Oh, yeah. So kind of, you mentioned jumping there for a second and that made me think of a lot of women say, you know, I'm, you know, now I've had little ones, I'm never going to be able to jump on a trampoline again. So is this normal or even true?
2: <laughs> well, it certainly is common. And I yeah. think that if, um, if, if there's one thing that, you know, sometimes women may have a few little symptoms or signs that maybe things don't feel quite the way they used to, but trampolines are definitely the one where they're like, okay, I can't be doing that anymore. And, And you absolutely can jump. If you want to jump on a trampoline, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to. You just need to. So your body has just given you a sign. So usually people have troubles with their bladder on, on a trampoline. So that's the body signaling you that it needs a little bit of help, that this activity is a little bit more challenging or a little more than the body can handle. So it doesn't mean that you can't ever do that again. But right now, let's back up from that retrain that system. So pelvic floor physiotherapy, the appropriate restorative exercise to retrain the core. Because when you think about all the changes that happen in pregnancy, and then we have a birth, whether it's vaginal or cesarean, there's a lot of change that has happened to the body, to the biomechanics, to the tissues. There's stretch, there's pressure, There's sometimes there's injury, whether it's from a, a cut to the um, perineum or sometimes tearing. So there's a lot that has potentially interrupted the synergy of our inner core unit and we need time to let that heal but we also need to retrain it so that's where the pelvic floor physiotherapist comes in and restorative exercise comes in and then eventually you can get back to and and you wouldn't just go from zero to jumping on a trampoline again but you'd maybe start adding a little bit of hops on the ground just gentle bouncing, not even leaving the ground. And then maybe you jump a little bit more in one place and then maybe you progress back to a rebounder and then eventually to the trampoline. So it's all gradual progression. Um, But I, I don't believe that we should accept that just because I've had children or just because I'm getting older, I can't do that exercise anymore. I think we need to look differently at what our body is capable of and 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 honoring the process of healing, but also restoration and, and recovering the function.
0: Mm-hmm. I found myself about uh, diastasis and pelvic floor physiotherapy after my first one. Do you think it's someone all women should visit after a first baby and during pregnancy too? Yeah, 100%.
2: I think that pelvic floor physiotherapy is the most underused women's health resource that we have available to us. And again, I think we have many healthcare professionals have an opportunity to refer, even if all they said, please go see a pelvic floor physiotherapist, it would it would go a long way. Uh, I'm petitioning the government to have it covered. It's something that I think would, would benefit women um, immensely and the family unit and reduce long-term healthcare costs. So um, in France, every woman has six to 12 visits paid for by the government. Oh, really? Yeah. So we should have that happening here. And I just, there was just in England, they've now started to <clears throat> make that a little bit more accessible to women as well. So 100%, every single woman, especially a woman who has been pregnant or uh, given birth, should see a pelvic floor physiotherapist. What I do is I recommend women see them when they're still pregnant. And in pelvic floor physiotherapy, they are regular physiotherapists who have additional training in the pelvic floor. So they're licensed to go beyond the introitus, and, which is the entrance to the vagina. And they look structurally, biomechanically, they help optimize the position of the pelvis for birth. So there's, it's not just about the internal assessment. And sometimes you don't have an internal assessment while you're pregnant, unless there was something really glaringly challenging or something. But So, see them in pregnancy. That helps also establish the relationship. And then pre book your postpartum visit. So, if you were due on March 1st and you think about six to eight weeks beyond that, usually I plan eight weeks in case you go a little bit after your due date. But at eight weeks after your due date, pre book it now because pelvic floor physiotherapists also have. They're busy.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. They have
2: wait lists. And uh, so, get it in. And, And also, once you've had your babe, you guys know those first few weeks, you're tired, you're, you know, there's a lot going on. And the last thing you need to do is worry worry about scheduling another appointment. So pre-book it, get it in there, see them at, uh, again, around that, that six to eight week mark. And they should be the ones who give you the quote unquote green light to go back to regular activities. Right now, there are even stories of women who go for their six-week checkup and have no internal assessment at all, and say, "Yep, yeah, everything's fine, and your your uterus has gone back to its normal size, and carry on." And I think that's irresponsible. Personally, I, I don't feel like the body is ready for the, the what what women consider normal again. <laughs> because at that point, women after they've had a baby. They don't feel like themselves. They don't feel strong. They want to get their body back. They want to feel confident again and strong and powerful. And so they will choose the hardest, most intense activity because they think that's what they need. And the body is not yet ready to handle those loads. Uh, So really that core restoration work starts with the pelvic floor physiotherapist. And it's usually more around four to six months postpartum before they start adding the more intense jumping running type activities,
0: in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Kim, we can find you on our panel of expert at parenttalk.ca. Where else can we find you? Um, my website is vaginacoach.com. I love and- it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and
2: uh, and probably the most the most social place I am is Instagram. So that's also Vagina Coach, Twitter Vagina Coach. Um, Facebook, I'm Pelvian Wellness. Pelvian, you would know that. That's the French word for oui. female pelvis. <laughs> and uh, Facebook doesn't quite like the word vagina, so it's Pelvian, <laughs> Pelvian Wellness on Facebook. <laughs> and
0: uh, yeah, so that's where you can find me. Awesome. Heather, it's time for a conversation
1: card. All right. So today we are going to have a little question based off a saying, and the saying is to fly off the handle. And the origin of the saying, um, years ago, tools were made by hand. A hammer had two parts, the head and the handle. Sometimes when pounding hard, the head of the hammer would become loose and fly off. Um, so, of course, the meaning of this saying is generally to lose one's temper or to get angry. So our question today based on our saying is, who's more likely to fly off the handle, boys or girls? Kim, we'll let you start.
2: Well, I didn't know. That's interesting to hear that origin. Um, So I have two boys and a husband, and I would say that uh, the boys, if I was to say just blanket statement, I think girls are more likely to to fly off the handle. Um, My boys are more likely to fly off the handle with one another, and I fly off the handle when they don't flush the toilet. Um, (laughs) So um, <laughs> I guess in our household, it would probably be me most of the time, but it doesn't happen all that often. It's, it's after, again, five times when I've said, please flush a toilet, and
1: they don't. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. <laughs> and for you, Heather. Uh, um, I think it's not necessarily a boy or girl thing, but more of a personality. Um, I find my husband has a very, um, well, very, a, lack, a lack of patience. <laughs> And so he can fly off the handle quite easily. It doesn't take much. He can be a little tired. He can be a little cranky, whatever. It doesn't take much. Um, but then again, it can be very hormonal because, oh my goodness, when I was pregnant with Hudson... I, like, I'm a very patient person and I don't know what I became for that nine months (laughs) because I was flying off the handle daily. I didn't even like, I was like mad at myself because like, oh my gosh, Heather, keep it together. (laughs) So it's definitely like a personality, but also can be hormonal, I think. (laughs) Probably, actually. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think in my family, both my husband and I can both fly off the handle, but I think my husband is a little bit less patient than me. And he, yeah, will fly off the handle easier than me. And my kids, I think they're a little bit too little to say yet, but um, Alex, yeah, I guess as a little toddler sometime, no mommy, you know,
1: <laughs> as you're just trying to put his shoes on. Oh, that's where <laughs> Hudson is taking after his dad right now. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs>
0: Oh, well, well, that concludes today's episode. I want to thank you, Heather and Kim, for joining us today and helping us grow our village. For our listeners... If you want to hear a little bit more about Heather and I, we're releasing some mini episodes called Real Mom Moments, where we talk a little bit about what's happening in our daily lives. If you have a question or you would like to join us on our show as a guest or as an expert, please visit the contact us section on our website at ParentTalk.ca. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or on any platform where you like to listen to your favorite podcast. You can always subscribe to this podcast on our website so you don't miss an episode of Parent Talk. Please, take a minute to review us. We want to know what you think. And remember, there's nothing more powerful than feeling supported by a community of parents and sharing your thoughts, ideas, and experiences. Parent Talk is a safe space for everyone. Thank you everyone for listening and have a great week. The views and or opinions of the host and their guests are not necessarily those of Parent Talk and should not be considered as fact. The information offered is believed to be accurate but is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be used for diagnosing or treating any health issue or prescribing medication. If you have any questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your child, please seek assistance from a qualified healthcare practitioner.